Holy Spirit of the living God, we invite you now to come, Lord, and to make your word illuminated for us, and that you would open each and every one of our hearts, Lord, to hear from the word of your mouth, for this word is breathed out by you and beneficial to every area of our life. So we open ourselves to you now. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, you saw that um, in the bulletin, you thought there was a mistake in that the Timothy epistle reading was wrong that was left over from last week. But what you didn't know is that it is a grand conspiracy to try to teach you the lesson to bring your Bible to church because you could have just followed along in your Bible. I want to see more Bibles in church. It's okay to do that. No, that was really, we just overlooked that. So sorry. Um. But but I will be preaching from that passage today, so you just have to really listen closely because you're not going to have the text in front of you unless you brought your Bible. Um, if you brought your Bible, you get uh, 100 bonus points today. Uh, there was a little boy uh, eating dinner uh, with his mom at the table, and he said uh, out of nowhere, he said, Mom, are bugs good to eat? And uh, she said, honey, let's not talk about such things at the dinner table. And um, after dinner, the mother then went to him and she said, now, honey, what did you want to ask me? And he said, oh, nothing. Uh, there was a bug in your soup, but now it's gone. It, it's important to get the truth before it's too late. Um, unfortunately, there's a, is an issue in the Christian church today. There's a lot of truth that's getting missed and ignored or actually swapped out for false teaching. Now we see in, uh, Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy was actually concerned about it very much back then. And I'll be rereading a little bit of that passage through the sermon, but how much more today as the, as the days grow, grow darker, uh, spiritually, do we need to be concerned with being people who can discern the difference between true and false teaching? And so today we're going to talk about um, f- false teaching and breaking free from it, how to break free from it, how to be people of truth. You see, a life of God-given joy and freedom is only possible when we're humbly and fully submitted to the truth as God has revealed it to us, uh, primarily through through his written word. So while there are some challenging things to wrestle with from Timothy or from Paul's letter to Timothy today and through the rest of the scriptures, my hope is that we will walk away today as better discerners of the truth and able to spot things that aren't so true when we hear them with our own ears. Uh, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. And so the more uh, we become a people of truth, the more free we will become in our lives with the Lord and Christian community and in life in general. So we're looking at Second Timothy today. Um, Paul says this, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Say this, all scripture. It's all breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, we don't get to pick and choose which parts of scripture that we will believe and live by. If we do that, we will not be free because we'll be only getting parts of the truth. Um, and, and because we will only be, we'll be putting our minds, our own minds above the authority of God and his word. And so we have to su- submit to, to all of what scripture says. You know, if we stand before God and, and discover that we did not actually, in fact, live according to the truth and we say, but, but such and such told me that this was okay. Or I had a priest who said, 
I didn't need to worry about what the Old Testament said or or I had uh, uh, Father Cameron told me this and I didn't need to worry about it. God forbid. Um, but God's going to say to us, why didn't you listen to my voice and my word? Why didn't you read it for yourself? What I had to say to you directly through here. And so friends, this is why it is a matter. And I know this is a horse that I beat dead, but this is why this is a matter of life and death to read, read, read and study, 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 and to know this thing, uh, forwards and backwards. It has eternal consequences. Now, Paul, um, he's exhorting Timothy. This is, remember, this letter is to a younger pastor who is to take what Paul's instructions are and then go and pastor his community in such and such a way. And Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. And so he's saying, Timothy, this is a big deal. This is a challenging position that you are in as a pastor and teacher of your people because Jesus is co- going to come and you're going to give an account to him of whether or not you were faithful in preaching the word. See, beloved, this is like a word that strikes me in the heart uh, because I'll give an account for how much of the counsel of God I preached if I only gave part of it or if I watered it down or if I gave the whole thing. And so this, this speaks to me uh, very in very personal ways. Now, Paul is telling Timothy, it's so important that you preach all of the truth. And he says, here's why. And here's what he says. The time is coming... When people will not endure sound teaching, or that is true teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions or their own desires, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. If Paul was worried about this then, oh my gosh, we should be very concerned about this right now in our own day and age as things continually uh, continually seem to just get more and further and further from the truth in our culture. Now, um, Paul says there's going to come a time when true teaching is not even tolerated anymore, that there, there's, there's going to be an increasing number of people, and I think we see this today, who are rejecting certain parts of Scripture. I, I see it everywhere. Pastors, theologians, Bible scholars, whole denominations that are outright denying parts of Scripture. Um, now, what are the desires that Paul talks about? He says they're going to accumulate teachers who will give them something a little bit easier to, to chew on because they'll water it down. And he says, here's why, because they want to suit their own desires. Now, what do you think those desires are that Paul means that will drive people to actually pursue false teaching? I, I'm going to just speculate on three of them. And I, I think these are three that we see a lot today. One is the desire to feel no conviction of sin or fear of judgment. A two is the desire to fit in, so to speak, with what our friends, family, and peers believe. And three is the desire to be the Lord of one's own life and to not be fully submitted to what, to God's way of life. Now, Paul says many, even in the Christian community, are going to actually go looking for people who will give them Christianity light. But here's the thing. Watered-down Christianity is a watered-down Jesus, and a watered-down Jesus is not Jesus at all. It's the only thing worse than watered-down coffee. Okay, Don't give me that Coney Island stuff. I can't drink it. Now, Paul says this. He says, they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You see, there is something, and we have to take stock of this, in each and every one of us, there's something in our sinful nature that abhors the truth sometimes. And so we need the Spirit of God to give us a love for truth. Jesus says, the truth will set you free. Now, here's what I want to do. 
there's so many things that I could hit on, but I want to just hit three things. And a, a couple of these will be things that I've maybe mentioned in recent weeks, but I just want to explore them a little bit deeper today. But what I want to do is go over three popular false teachings that are pretty prevalent in a lot of areas of the Christian church. Not everywhere, okay? But a lot of, a lot of these are prevalent in the Christian church in the West. And I want to just address them and look at what, what God actually speaks to uh, us in his word on these issues. So the first one is this. <clears throat> God's love contains no judgment. I don't know if you've read this, but, but God is not a fan of the sin that it destroys his creation. And he will judge sin. Now, if, if you've read Genesis 6, and maybe you've only seen the Sunday school version of Noah's Ark, and it's like got, uh, you know, Noah, he's smiling with his friends. He's got a cute little bird, and there's some giraffes on the ark, and it's really cute. And what you don't see on the felt board is like all the bodies floating around. God looked at humanity, and it grieved his heart that it said everyone in their hearts was so wicked and so full of violence that he wiped everyone out except for Noah and his family. God did that. Now, some people say, I don't accept that part of the Bible. I don't believe that that actually happened. That's the history shows us there wasn't really a flood and so on and so forth. Well, I beg to differ, and I think Jesus does too. I think Jesus actually believed that it happened. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 17. He's talking about his own return to come back to judge the living and the dead and to establish his kingdom as the son of God. And he says this, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the son of man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to disagree with Jesus and say, Jesus, you're just kind of a benighted, ancient you know, person. You don't really understand. That didn't really happen. You see, Jesus took these things seriously. He took judgment and sin very, very seriously. Now, here's the thing. This is where I, what I want to explore this a little bit so we, just, we don't just you know, feel a heavy hammer of judgment and sin because it's important to, to ask questions about this and wrestle with it. Here's the thing. A righteous and just God has to punish sin. You see, <clears throat> he can't ignore it any more than an earthly judge can ignore crime. So if an earthly judge is bound by legal oaths that he's taken... To, to punish crime, how much more is the uncreated God of the universe bound by his own eternal just nature to punish sin, the, the junk that's destroying his people and his creation? Now, you see, in reality, we actually all do want God to be a righteous judge. When we think about people like Hitler and Pol Pot or the neighbor whose dog always goes to the bathroom on our lawn, we really want God to be a righteous judge, just not ours, just not ours. But you see, the, 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 the reality is, is that every single one of us will stand before the throne of God, and we need to hear this sometimes, friends. It's important that we hear this sometimes, because it's on the lips of Jesus all the time. We will stand before his throne of judgment, and we will hear either, well done, good and faithful servant, or we will hear, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness, for I never knew you. And we have to hear this sometimes. I know it's difficult and it's heavy, but what it does is it drives us towards the truth. Now, you see, God's love entails creaturely freedom. His love entails that he made creatures with free will. We have the choice to love and to serve him in humility and to find the life that is life-giving and truly joyful, or we can reject his lordship and his way of life. And it's God's love and respect for our free will that allows us to choose eternal darkness. Now, is this just fear-mongering? 
No, because fear should be a secondary thing. For Christians, there's a confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ that we belong to God. And fear, you see, fear, one author put it like this. He said, the function of fear is to wake us up to the insanity of turning away from the fountain of life. He says, the decisive means of transformation is not dread, but delight. You see, those who fear the Lord will delight in the Lord. Those who fear the Lord have no, do not have to be afraid of the Lord because there's a righteous reverence in their hearts for his holiness and his holy ways. You see, it's only, only, only when we acknowledge the reality of judgment that we will see the glory of our wounded Savior who bore our judgment to give us eternal joy. Hallelujah. It exalts Jesus. Now, the second um, belief that's very popular today, and many of you have heard this, it is that regardless of religious belief, all good people will go to heaven. Now, you have heard um, probably somebody say all roads lead to the same destination. When I'm out doing evangelism and I get into conversations with people and I start talking to them about spirituality and stuff, I often hear this. All roads lead to the same place. They'll say things like this. All religions really have the same fundamental teaching or the same fundamental truths. Not true. This is actually problematic just on a philosophical level and, and a historical level. Because just for instance, let me just give you an example. Gautama Buddha, who, who, who developed the teachings of Buddhism, came out of a, a, a regal Hindu caste system, a regal Hindu family, and was rejecting the beliefs of Hinduism. So, so even Buddhism and Hinduism, two big major Eastern religions, are fundamentally at odds with each other and teach different things. Jesus Christ says, I'm the only way to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Hinduism teaches you can have 30 million gods and worship any one of them, and you'll be okay if your deeds are good in the end. So there are superficial similarities between different religious teachings. That's true. Superficial love your neighbor and forgive people and be compassionate and things like that. But fundamentally, almost every world religion has, has odds of opinions on things. It teaches things that are, at, that are deeply uh, contrasting from one another. Now, uh, Peter, he's preaching about Jesus in Acts chapter 4, and he says this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. You think, think about this. I said this last week, but it's, I think it's worth saying again. If it's true that all paths lead to God or that a person can just be a good person and go to heaven, that means that Jesus died for no reason. It means that God the Father just was having a bad day and decided to cruelly punish his son for no reason because you could just believe in Buddha or Allah or Muhammad or whatever and get there in the end anyway without Jesus dying for your sins. You see, friends... The truth is that all people have participated in the sin of Adam and, and have forsaken God and lost access to his presence. So we don't need a religious system that enlightens us or makes us good people. We need a savior who can reconcile us to our heavenly father and bring us back into his loving presence. There's a huge difference. One is from us to him and the other one is from him to us. And Christianity says grace and salvation and life comes from him to us. C.S. Lewis said this. This is just brilliant. He said, Christianity tells people to repent and promises them forgiveness. It therefore has nothing to say to people who do not know they have done anything to repent of and who do not feel they need any forgiveness. It is after you have realized that there is a real moral law and a power behind that law and that you have broken that law and put yourself wrong with that power 
It is only after this and not a moment sooner that Christianity begins to talk. You see, this is why this is so dear to my heart. You and I will never grow a heart for the lost until we recognize this truth. People are perishing apart from Christ and eternity doesn't end. And you and I will never have compassion to reach them. It's our God-given commission to do so, to go out and tell people the good news that God loves them, that he has a purpose for their life, that he paid the price for their sins, and he wants to bring them back into relationship with himself. It's that easy. You don't need a degree to say that to somebody. Watch what the Holy Spirit does when you do that. It's a simple, simple message. But we'll never have a heart for people who are perishing if we don't really believe and see the reality that people are perishing and they're going to be eternally lost apart from Christ. Because they're, they're choosing, when someone rejects Christ and refuses to follow him, they're choosing and saying, I'll be, the, I'll be the one who takes the punishment for my sin. I'm not going to trust that he took it for me. And God will say, have it your way. And he has to punish sin. Now, here's the, here's the third thing. Don't worry, there's good news coming, okay? There, there is there's all good news in all of this. Um, the third is this. <clears throat> Grace means that my sin now has no consequences. Huh, Forgiven. Forgiven, baby. Yeah, sin. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, I, I know I touched on this last week, but it, again, it just it bears repeating. Jesus said that, I just can't get over this. I keep reading Matthew chapter 7. I, 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 I strongly encourage you to read it. He says, on that day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, That is, many people who profess my name, many people who profess to be believing believing Christians will say to me, Lord, Lord, I did all this stuff for you. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you because you're a practicer of lawlessness. You see, Jesus says, it's him who does the will of my father who will enter the kingdom of heaven. And and it's a reality and it's difficult to wrestle with, but I can't get over that word that many people think they're going to heaven and they're going to stand before Jesus, but they weren't lawlessness throughout their life. They never let his Holy Spirit transform them. So they didn't actually really know him. But I went to church all my life. So what? Do you know him? Do you pray to him? Do you spend time with him? Do you love him? Do you lay down your life for him? That's what matters in the end. The Bible doesn't say if you pray a little prayer at camp, you'll go to heaven. It says you must die to yourself and give your life to Christ and he will give you a new life. And that life is eternal life. See? Now people say, isn't God a a God of grace and love? Lord, aren't you a God of grace and love? Yes. Jesus meets us in our brokenness. He meets us in our worst place ever, in our worst sinfulness, but he doesn't leave us there. He gives us a new life. He says to people all the time, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. I'm going to enable you to live a life of of godliness and righteousness and joy and peace. Now, I'm not saying that we never sin, okay? I'm not with John Wesley on the sinless perfection in this life thing. I don't think that's actually biblical. Or I'm not saying that each time we sin, God kind of kicks us out out of his kingdom and says, you've got to come begging back for more. That's not the picture of God. In scripture, he's actually very merciful when we fall. He's extremely merciful. First um, John chapter 2 says, If anyone sins, so he's assuming that this will happen. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, if anyone sins, so, some of us have become so comfortable in our sin that we just, we're just, it's the norm. We're just comfortable with it. And so we've accepted that it's okay. 
And friends, that's a dangerous place to be. We need to run to the Savior and say, Lord, I need forgiveness. I need your help to get out of this. It's not that we just need only forgiveness to forgive our sins. We need him to actually empower us to break the chains of the sin and the addictions and the bondages so that we can actually live the new life that he wants to give us. That's, that's true repentance, true turning to the Lord. See, the evidence of someone who really is a true Christian believer, according to Jesus, is that by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's indwelling power, they are actually gaining power over the sinful nature and they're walking in victory over things. That, that's the evidence. There's a holy life there. Um, I love how Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrased version of the Bible, he, this is from Titus chapter 2, he says this. <clears throat> he says, God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. Salvation's available for everyone. We're being shown how to turn our backs on a godless, indulgent life and how to take on a God-filled, God-honoring life. This new life is starting right now and is wetting our appetites for the glorious day when our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, appears. He offered himself as a sacrifice to free us from a dark, rebellious life into this good, pure life, making us a people he can be proud of, energetic in goodness. I love that energetic in goodness see friends it's only when we when we when we take stock of these realities of eternal judgment and things like that and that god actually hates sin that the good news will become glorious to us that it will shine forth from heaven and the savior and his cross will be the center of your life because you will cling to him you'll say i have no righteousness that is my own but i only have his you see it's what glorifies and exalts the gospel Paul wrote this in, uh, in Romans chapter 5. He said, God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is, that, that's what's actually hard to believe. If you understand the holiness and the justice of God and what he requires, that's what's hard to believe is that he looked out on us and he said, I have to punish sin because I'm just, I'm fair, but I don't want to because I love them so much. And Jesus, his eternal son said, I'll bear their punishment. That's love. Do you realize that he loves you that much? He saw you when he made that decision from eternity past in the heavenly realms. He saw your life. He saw your name written on his palms. People say, how can a good God punish people in hell for all eternity? I say, why would a righteous and just God give his own life to grant sinners eternal happiness? That's the question. The Bible tells us over and over the reason why. Three words. God is love. God is love. John tells us this, the beloved disciple who rested his head on Jesus' chest, knew the Lord so intimately. He said this, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, here's some practical things that I think we can do to be people who discern true teaching from false teaching. There's a lot of false teaching out there. And I'm not, I don't want to create paranoia. I don't want to say there's nothing true out there unless you're only reading the literal words of the Bible. That's not what I'm trying to do. There's lots of great stuff, lots of great stuff out there. 
but you've got to be cautious and know the truth. You have to know the source of truth in his word so that when you see something on the History Channel about Jesus or you hear something on NPR, you watch something on a, on a television show or hear a radio program, you know how to hold it up against this, which is the ultimate standard of truth, and to say, hmm, I don't know about that. That seems, to, that seems like a little bit of an aberration from what God says in his word. Now, here's three practical things that we can do to guard against false teaching and to be people who love and embody and thrive in the truth. The first one is this. These will be brief. Become what I call a Bible hedonist. Glut yourself on this. We have a colic, an Anglican colic that Thomas Cranmer, the developer of our prayer book, wrote that says, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the Holy Scriptures because in them is life. They are life-giving. Become a glutton on Scripture. You go and read it oh, oh, honestly and open-heartedly and go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm reading the, the lake of fire. This is hard, Lord. Help me to understand this. Lord, I want to come to you with an open heart and I'm struggling that the world tells me this. Help me to understand your word and to submit to it, Lord. We need his spirit to enlighten us in the scriptures. Uh, develop a one-year Bible reading plan. Like, just Google it, one-year Bible reading plan. You can find all kinds of plans that just take you through the whole of Scripture, gives you the whole story. It's so great reading like that. There's so much to learn. Or come to me. I'm, this is what I'm here for. Ask me for suggestions on what, what's the best Bible translation. There's like 400 of them. Or Father Cameron, is there any books that I should read that help me understand the Bible more? I will nerd out with you on that stuff. I will be geeked when people come in my office and say, do you have a book on you know, the book of Acts? Oh, come over here. Let me show you my Acts section. You you know, I, I am, I'd be so happy to help people find resources and to get excited about reading Scripture. Now, the second practical thing we can do is this. Um, we ask about teachings that we hear. We ask, what has the Christian church taught about this for 2,000 years since, it has been, since its beginnings? What has the church taught about this for 2,000 years? Read the early fathers and mothers of the church, especially the first five centuries, and the saints across history. Read their writings. And then when you hear something new that sounds a little strange, say, hmm, does this line up with what the church has taught for 2,000 years? You'll hear people saying, who are, who, are, who are trying to develop new and false teaching, they'll say things like, well, we believe the Holy Spirit is doing something new. Friends, the Holy Spirit of God will not inspire his own book. He, or he will not... Uh, he will not contradict his own book that he inspired. The Holy Spirit will not contradict his own book. And so that's why it's so important when you hear, well, you know, we believe the Holy Spirit's doing something new. Red flags should go up in your mind and in your heart. Red flags, because if it's something that contradicts what the church has taught for two millennia, it's highly unlikely that it's actually something the Holy Spirit is doing. The, the tr tr truth of the Christian tradition is something that we receive. We don't make it up as we go along. It's a, everything in the Christian life is a posture of reception and humility to receive revelation from God. Now, the third one is this. This is my favorite. Um, be an active participant in Christian community. There, I know there's some people just like, I just like to go to church, bounce in on Sunday and bounce out, and then I go back to the rest of my week. It is so important to get more deeply engaged with Christian community. We have all kinds of, uh, all kinds of avenues for people to pursue that. And it's so important. Um, it's, it's so important for this reason. You've heard me say this before. The church is a we, not a me. 
It's a we. We need each other for accountability, for mutual encouragement in the scriptures, to seek conversations with those who are actually more knowledgeable and biblically and spiritually mature than us. It takes a humble person to say, hey, you know a lot more about the, the book of Romans than I do. Could, you, could we sit down and study it together and help me uh, learn? You know a lot more about uh, the prophet Isaiah. Could we sit down and learn? I really see your prayer life is really strong. I want to learn from you. These are, these are the gifts of Christian community. God, God made us gifts to one another. We're all to be together for the mutual encouragement and building up of, of the body of Christ so that we, that we reach the maturity that Jesus is calling to. Now, just coming to a close here, the ultimate way, this is the most important thing really when it comes to discerning true, truth from false teaching. The ultimate way to discern truth from false teaching is to listen to the voice of Jesus. Jesus said to Pontius Pilate when he was on trial before his crucifixion, he said to Pontius Pilate some words that just ring out to me. He says, all who are on the side of truth, listen to me. All who are on the side of truth, listen to me. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. Those who truly belong to him, listen to his voice and they learn to discern it. And a lot of that learning is going to come through learning his voice through here. And I believe in prophecy and and, and all of that stuff, but this is where it gets grounded. This, friends, if you think about it, it's incredible. This is incredible. The eternal, uncreated Son of God wants to speak to you and to me on a daily basis. That's his heart for us. That's that's incredible. That blows my mind when I think about it. Um, Jesus was talking to his disciples before he went to the cross. And he said this to them. He said, I still have many things to say to you. And then he tells them this. When the spirit of truth comes, Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is why walking with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, pursuing deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit is so central to the Christian life because the Holy Spirit is how we hear the voice of Jesus in his word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I've got many things still to say and I'm going to send my spirit who's going to communicate my word to you. And so a question for us today is this, am I wholeheartedly committed to listening to the voice of Jesus? Do I get before him? Shut the door, turn the devices off, turn the TV off, and enter into the joy of his presence. Sit there. Sometimes you just got to sit there and just wait. I just read a psalm. I just wait till I start to become aware of him in the room. And then I just worship. Whatever your routine is, it's fine. It's just getting in his presence. He wants to talk. He says to you and to me today, I have many things to say to you. Think about those words the next time. It's time for your prayer time. He says, I have many things to say to you. You see, friends, the ultimate purpose of being committed to the truth is an eternal, life-giving, joy-producing relationship with the one who says, I am the truth. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to be a people who are humbly submitted to your word. 
in all of it, Lord, in all of its entirety, not ignoring anything that you've given us, Lord, but truly wrestling with your word, just as Jacob wrestled with your angel and walked away with a limp, Lord, so may it be with us that sometimes we have to walk away with a little bit of a mental or intellectual handicap because of our humility and submitting to your word. So Holy Spirit, come and make your word real to us in the days and weeks to come. God, I just pray that you just increase our hunger to read and study your word, that there just be a stirring up in this this local body, this community, this church of a desire to go deeper and deeper in your word, Lord, so that there we would meet you and that we would hear all of those things that you promised that you have to say to us. Lord, now we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and minister to us in our worship, that you would inspire the songs now that we sing, Lord, the prayers of the Eucharist, that you would come in the tenderness and the gentleness that you come with and that you would draw us close to yourself, Lord, and that we, what we give to you right now, Lord, as we worship in this song would not be ourselves, would not be our own lips or just our own voices, but that we would give you all of us, Lord. So come, Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.